Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you today for an author interview as well as your guide to this week's new releases. And today I am delighted to share an interview that I did back at the beginning of summer with author Colleen Oakley. We talked about her fabulous 2021 release, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island, which is so much fun in so many ways. I don't want to say too much about it here because I want you to really get a feel for the story from Colleen herself. So after that, I, of course, have some new books to talk to you about. Um, A lot of horror and fantasy this week, so not as big a list as you sometimes get, but it's not always about quantity. So let's move into the housekeeping information, followed by the interview, and then I'll be back to talk with you about books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am really, really excited to be talking with Colleen Oakley, who is the author of a number of novels, but the one that we are focusing on today is The Invisible Husband of Frick Island, which was released here in the U.S. on May 25th. Colleen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Shannon. I'm so excited to be here. So can we start out with a brief description just so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what they're getting with The Invisible Husband of Frick Island? Yes, absolutely. So The Invisible Husband of Frick Island is about a young girl named Piper or, or young woman, I should say, who lives on Frick Island. And Frick Island is this tiny spit of land out in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay off the coast of Maryland, only accessible by boat and has about 97 residents living on it. And Piper is one of them. And Piper is young and in love and a newlywed and she loses her husband in a freak boating accident um, one day when he is out crabbing and fishing, which is his, uh, his job. And she is in such denial and grief over over this loss that she wakes up one day and continues to live his life as though he is right there beside her. And she continues to walk him down to the docks and meet him for their Friday night dinner at the one restaurant on the island, the one-eyed crab. 
And the townspeople aren't quite sure what to make of this or what to do. And so they decide they love Piper so much that maybe the best thing to do is to go along with this delusion. Um, and that's all fine and well until a very ambitious reporter comes over from the mainland uh, to cover a kind of a fluff piece on the island and instead discovers uh, a much more interesting story, which is an entire island interacting uh, with a man who does not actually exist. And he decides this is the big break story he's been looking for for his podcast. And he continues to go over to the island to, uh, to get this story and starts unraveling some other secrets and mysteries on the island that the islanders would probably rather uh, not be unraveled. So that's probably longer than you wanted. <laughs> it is very okay. long. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really, really unique premise. Like there are certain things that are done and you're just like, okay, like that's cool. You know, I've seen this done before, but this I have never, ever read a book like this. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what inspired you um, to write this particular story. I'd love to. Yeah. And first of all, I want to say that's a huge compliment because that is what I try to do as an author. I try to pick unique premises that I, that I find to be challenging to write. If I think, you know, that's going to be really hard to make that believable then that's the book that I gravitate toward writing. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, but yeah, I kind of, the, the biggest uh, inspiration for this book was actually a newspaper article that came out, is a pretty big story that came out about four years ago about this woman, uh, and I believe she lived in Australia. And she was older, she'd been married for like 50 or 60 years. And her husband um, died of natural causes in their home. And she was in such grief and denial about his death that she, and I apologize, this is a little bit morbid. She left his body in their bed and I know she continued to live her life uh, outwardly as though everything were fine and normal, you know, to her neighbors and her friends. And she wasn't really found out until a neighbor uh, started to notice an odor. I'm sorry. That's so morbid, but um started to notice an odor coming from her house. And that's when it was discovered what I she had. I kind of want to ask you, but I also kind of don't want to know how long this took. <laughs> I think it was like a, a full week. I mean, <laughs> okay. I hope it wasn't longer than that, but my memory was, I think it was a week, maybe two weeks, um, oh too long. However, however long it was. I can't imagine just like going to bed I know. I know. And then, oh. I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fantastic. I know. So, you know, as morbid and as sad and tragic as that is, of course, my weird little novelist brain just hung on to that story. And, and I started to come up with this, this weird idea about Piper. And for me, I thought, you know, what if that neighbor, what if the town, instead of calling her out on it, embraced it. And, and luckily in my story, of course, there is not the decomposing body in the, in the house. I, I, very much I left appreciate that detail that. out. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just thought that that would just be fascinating. So. 
So we did an episode yesterday on, and it's yesterday at the time that we're recording, by the time this airs, um, it won't have been yesterday, but <laughs> we did an episode on places that you'd like to visit. And mm. so one of the things that I talked about was this book. And um, one of my co-hostesses, Kristen, was like, oh, so I wonder like what the psychological effect of something like that would be if like everybody just like went along with it. You know, and then eventually it came out like what, you know, what would the like the psychology be of all these people who right. to varying degrees either believed or just decided to go along with this. Um, right. So it made for a really interesting discussion. Just, you know, what would that be like for a group of people to and sort of like all people, you know, there wasn't anybody yes. on the island who was like, oh, no this isn't real, you know? Right. Right. They just just completely embraced it. Yeah. Yes. And they would like, you know, talk to him and like, yes, you know, (laughs) act as though he was actually present. Right. So Frick Island in and of itself is not a real place. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Is it It based on a real place? Yes. So in my author's note in the back of the book, uh, which I hope readers will read, I know a lot of readers skip the skip the back stuff, but the author's note, I mentioned that um, Frick Island is based on Smith Island, which is a real island off the coast of the Ches- off the coast of Maryland in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, currently, I believe it's home to about 200 people, I want to say. When I first visited it uh, 20 years ago, I believe about 500 people lived on the island and it's been dwindling ever since because of uh, climate change and and the island shrinking and, um, you know, fishing and crabbing is much, much harder. Mm -hmm. Now with climate change, it's much harder to make a living at that. And so most kids, when they grew up, um, you know, move off the island. So the population has been dwindling, but it is a Fabulous, fascinating, uh, remote, interesting place where the people that live there are American, you know, they're Marylanders, but they live such a different existence than, than most Americans. And it's, it's just kind of wild to be there, but it's also peaceful and quaint and, and lovely if anybody gets the chance to go. So is it similar to Frick Island in the sense that like there's not a ton of like internet presence? Um, it's kind of secluded from the yes. outside world in a lot of ways. Yes, it's very isolated because, um, you know, they do. Now, this is just recent. So I went back for research and they do have better um, or I should say some cell phone reception. My phone worked in like one or two places when I went. Um, oh, but yeah, it is it is lacking in a lot of those ways. People don't really use the computer uh, that often. Um, when I was making reservations, I called on the phone, you know, uh, to the bed and breakfast owner. I wrote, I gave her cash or a check. She does not accept credit card. Nobody on the island accepts credit cards. <laughs> I oh, mean, wow. it really is like going back in time. So there are a lot of details in the book that are based completely, you know, or, or I guess stolen completely from uh, Smith Island. But, you know, I, I wanted it to be fictionalized so that, A, I could kind of make my own layout of the town and B, right. so that anybody that lives on Smith Island does not feel that I am writing about them personally. My characters are 100% yes. fictional. <laughs> I 
wonder what it would have been like to live in a place like that during this whole pandemic. Yes, like, I, I don't if that's think that life maybe bad. probably changed too much for them. I would think, you know, because right, there's not that many people, like comparatively. Right. You know, I'm sitting here like in a pretty big, like midwestern city, and I'm yeah. thinking, like, oh, this island with like you know 200 people. I'll I'll go. I'll go right now. Like I don't have to see very many people. <laughs> I, I could be about that. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I want to very carefully ask you a question um, <laughs> about the ending without mm-hmm. giving spoilers because I know the ending, you know the ending, but perhaps people listening do not. So <clears throat> as you were writing, did mm-hmm. you know sort of what prompted this pretense on Piper's part or did that Mm -hmm. sort of unfold for you as the story went on? Like, did you know sort of why she chose this and why the town went along with it or did that just sort of come clear? Interestingly, I kind of knew, it's hard to answer that question. I kind of knew and then it became more and more clear as I was writing, the the details became a lot more clear of how all of that came to be. So yes and no, if that makes sense. It does. It does. When you write, do you tend to plot things out like from start to finish or do things kind of come up and surprise you? Things absolutely surprise me. I always say that I wish that I could be a plotter. I wish I could outline I feel like it would make things so much more efficient (laughs) writing a book. Um, But it's, I just can't, it's not my creative process. It's not the way I work. So I really just kind of, um, you know, it's called pantsing as I'm I'm sure, you know, and maybe some of you heard that term Uh, writing by the seat of your pants. I know where I'm starting. I know who my characters are. I know what the premise is. I kind of know where I'm hoping to end up. And I just have no idea how I'm getting from the beginning to the end. And, um, you know, to put it nicely, it's exciting. uh, But to put it truthfully, it's very challenging. (laughs) I imagine so, because I'm guessing then that you'd have to go back and sort of redo certain things to fit the unfolding plot that like you didn't necessarily know about as you were starting. There's a lot of painful deleting, you know, I mean, there have been days where I've deleted and I say deleting, I cut them and paste them in another document because I can't actually swallow deleting that much uh, material. But, you know, it'll be like 100 pages sometimes because I'll write myself into a corner and then I'll figure it out and be like, oh, this is what happens here. And, oh, that makes this, you know, 50, 75, 100 pages completely obsolete. And I start over. (laughs) Wow. So when you're coming up with your ideas, do you get sort of like a glimmer of a plot first? Or is it a character that comes first for you? It's generally first kind of that weird what if. So like with this book, you know, I saw that that crazy news story and I just had this what if 
you know, like the, the people were going along with it. Like, what if somebody was doing this and the people were going along with it? So that was, I generally come up with some kind of st- very strange what if, and then things, if it's a, if it's going to be a story that sticks that I know like is going to grow into like a novel, then my brain starts turning and everything starts to just kind of flow from there. So with this one, I think I immediately thought of, you know, a young newlywed, you know, Piper kind of started growing for me. And then I immediately knew that it would have to be this very isolated town. And I remembered visiting Smith Island and I thought that would be a perfect setting. And then, you know, it all just kind of snowballs from that very original spark of a premise. The interesting thing, or one of the interesting things about this book is that Piper in so many ways is the central focus. Mm -hmm. And yet we see like not a great deal from her actual point of view. Like we see things about her, um, but we don't see things sort of from her point of view. Was that something that you did intentionally or is that just how things ended up? Yeah, I did it pretty intentionally because, you know, there's a lot of mystery in this book and I, yes, I didn't want you to be in Piper's head too much uh, to unravel the mystery too quickly, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So, and I also think it's so interesting. I mean, it was so many weird things going on the island that really seeing it through an outsider's point of view, uh, which is Anders, a lot of the book is written through Anders' point of view, the reporter. Um, you know, when you see it, it's so much more interesting to see it from an outsider of what is going on on this <laughs> in this town. Um so, and then of course the flashbacks are through Piper's point of view with um, with her husband Tom when Tom was alive. Yes. That, um, so you could kind of get a real sense of their love story and their relationship, and you could connect to Piper uh, that way as well. So, can you tell us anything about what might be coming next for you? Oh, I would love to. I'm so excited about it. So. I just turned in the first draft uh, for my next novel, which is tentatively called The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise. Oh. And it is uh, about an 84-year-old woman named Louise who is a suspected international jewelry thief. (laughs) And she ends up on the lam from the police with her 22-year-old college dropout caretaker who is trying to figure out who this woman is that she is on the run from the police with. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. I I need this like right now. (laughs) Thank you. It was very, very fun to write. And I I hope that it's just as much fun to read. (laughs) Oh, it it sounds delightful. And I am very, very excited. I love those sort of like on the run books where you know there's that sense of urgency that comes from like needing to stay a step ahead of the people who are coming after you absolutely I also think that thieves make for really really interesting characters I I don't know why but I really like (laughs) thief books good well hopefully you'll like this one (laughs) like I think of like um Honest Illusions by Nora Roberts where there's the whole like you know, jewel thief um, element. And like, whenever I think about that, I'm like, oh yeah, thieving that that's good. Yeah. I think, I wonder if part of it is, you know, 
it can be a little bit forgivable. Like thieves aren't the worst people in the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, not usually. Not usually. Right. Like they're not like serial killers, although, you know, I am right, a big right. fan of like serial killer fiction. So sure. <laughs> what, what can I say? <laughs> well, I am definitely excited about this and I will be keeping an eye out for it um, in the next little while. So one of my favorite things to ask authors is about what they've been reading because authors have seriously some of the best recommendations. In fact, that is how you came to the attention of the Book Bistro podcast. Oh my God. When you were there too, came out a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago, it was recommended to two of my presenters by Kristen Higgins. Oh my um, God. When, when she was being interviewed on the show. And so, you know, people were really excited when she talked about that. And from that point on, like you've kind of been on our radar. So I'm always really excited to know what people have been reading and what has sort of like sparked that joy in, in you as, as an author, but also just as a reader. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'll have to send Kristen her check in the mail. I appreciate her <laughs> doing that. Yes. Um, the, the book I'm reading right now and absolutely loving is Laura Hankins, A Special Place for Women. Have you read oh, that? Oh, yes, I did. She was on the show um, oh, good. a couple of weeks ago and she just, she's incredible. She is so delightful. I'm halfway through it. It's keeping me up at night when I should be sleeping. It's so, so good. Um, And then another standout for me, I have two big standouts for me this year. The first one is The Yellow Wife by Sadiqa Johnson. Have you heard of that one? Yes. That was brilliant. I mean, I think that book is me forever and ever and ever. Um, so I loved that one. And then I really also loved, um, Mother May I by Jocelyn Jackson. Oh, Jocelyn Jackson makes me so happy. Oh my gosh. She is such a talent. And each book I'm like, okay, this is my favorite Jocelyn Jackson book. And then she comes out with a new one. And I think Mother May I might be my favorite. I was turning pages, but then there's the sharp social commentary. I mean, it's Ah, just So, so good. And if you do her stuff as audiobooks, um, she mm-hmm. reads most of them herself. And she I is know. just so, so talented, both as a writer, but also as a voice actor. It's honestly not fair for somebody to have so much talent in so many <laughs> different areas. It kind of makes me angry. <laughs> Speaking of audio narrators... Um, the woman who narrates The Invisible Husband of Frick Island is a little bit of a lesser known quantity in the book yeah. world. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, kind of the choice for her as, I would as your narrator. To. I would love to, and I'd love to give her her props. So Sarah Shackles is phenomenal. And um, I was given, I believe, five choices of audiobook narrators. And, you know, they each read a snippet of the book and that I was able to listen to. And, you know, I'm going through, I'm going through. And when I got to Sarah Shackles, I mean, it was immediate. I was like, oh, this is exactly who should be narrating 
this book. It was just such a gut feeling. And I sent it to my mom because of course I, you know, I'm 40 years old, but I still have to get my mother's approval for everything. And, um, and she <laughs> said, me, oh, my grandmother, God. but you know, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she said, yes, at 100% without a doubt. Absolutely. And she validated that. And I just think, I mean, Sarah is such a talent and she might not be super well known, but I think that she will be in the coming years because she, she did such a great job. She did. Um, it like the book suited her so well. And I'm always just interested in sort of the, um, you know, how people kind of get into this and the authors that choose to go with a lesser known right. narrator who, who suits their book so well. Um, and, you know, usually like when I get audio copies of things, they're, you know, kind of that core group of readers yes. that yes. you hear a lot and you hear them a lot, of course, because generally they're, they're very, very good. Right. And so that's, <laughs> that's always, you know, a, a good choice, but every once in a while you hear from someone who hasn't been heard from so much. Mm -hmm. And I think that just works so well when it's, you know, obviously the right choice. Like sometimes I'll listen to something and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, this is like a terrible narrator. Um, yes. Oh, that's like the worst, isn't happens. it? Yeah. Yes. But by and large, I feel like, you know, authors, especially when authors are allowed to help like make those choices, I feel mm -hmm. like you can get some really talented people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm thrilled. And I'm thrilled to know that you think so too. I'm going to pass that along to her because she'll be so happy. In fact, um, Laura Hankin also reads her own audiobooks. I know. Speaking of wildly talented yes. people. <laughs> yes. And she is another person who, you know, normally when I see an author reading their own work, I'm always a little bit skeptical. Like, is this, is this going to be good? Sure. You know, are you going to read well? Um, and when you have somebody who is just so able to, you know, not only like, get into the story because they wrote it, but bring it to life so well, it, it's just, it adds sort of that extra layer. 100%. Yeah, because they know, I mean, experience. they read it exactly how they intended it to be read, right? And it just, yes. it makes it such an incredible experience for sure. But then like sometimes authors read their own work and I'm just like, wow, um, maybe you should only write <laughs> like, you know, there are there are audiobook narrators for a reason. That's right. Please note that nobody has ever asked me to read my own book. And I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> I would think, you know, it would be a, a difficult thing. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah. you know, writing is is one way of kind of getting into that story and creating it, but then bringing it to life vocally, I, I yes. think would just be sort of an extra challenge. Yeah, um, it really takes, I mean, I think a true acting talent too. You have to infuse yes. your voice with so much inflection and energy. And I mean, that is not a, a common ability that people have. So I'm blind and I have grown up with people reading to me with varying oh degrees God. of skill. Yeah. Varying degrees of skill. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, it's a horrible thing. Like people will, um, 
when I was in college, I would have these textbooks that would be read by volunteer readers. And I would hear people like eating their lunch and swallowing and sneezing and coughing and burping. No, no. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I was always told like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't complain about this. Like you have to just be glad that someone read it. And like, yes, but like, I have to listen to it. And it's it's terrible. (laughs) Um, So the idea of like professional readers um, actually like getting paid to do this and to do it well Mm -hmm. um, has been such a gift in so many ways, both just as, you know, pleasure for people, but also as that added layer of accessibility that doesn't just make it accessible that yes I can listen to it if I don't mind you know whatever you're doing in the background Um, (laughs) but that I can actually have a solid listening experience yes oh I'm sure that makes a huge difference it is much much better than like the (laughs) volunteer people and and I am very glad obviously that somebody (laughs) read you know psychology textbooks right um on tape. I am because I, I don't know how I would have gotten through like undergrad and grad school if people didn't do that. Right. However, <laughs> <laughs> however, um, you know, eating, you can eat like when you're not recording things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just generally a, a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. Same way you wouldn't like give a speech and eat a sandwich in the middle of it. I hope you wouldn't. Um, I I guess I have learned that I should never say that people like won't do something because as soon as I say it, someone will do it. Very true. Very true. So can you let listeners know the best way to find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So um, they can go right to my website, which is easy, ColleenOakley.com. Uh, and link up to all my social media. I am at writer Colleen Oakley on Facebook and Instagram. And just to be different, I'm at Oakley Colleen on Twitter. (laughs) Um, Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your release week schedule to chat with me a little bit and let listeners know a little bit more about who you are and, and what your writing is like. Well, thank you, Shannon. This was such a delight and um, I'd be happy to do it anytime you would have me. Awesome. Well, hopefully we will have you back for your next one because I really want to talk about jewel thieves. And <laughs> yes, on the run. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bet you do. <laughs> All right. So new books. So the first couple that I'm going to talk about are things that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of October episode. And there are only two here. The first one is one that Stacy mentioned. This is The Brightest Star in Paris by Diana Biller. And then the second book is one that I mentioned. This is a young adult fantasy novel called The Keeper of Night. It's Keeper of Night, book one by Kylie Lee Baker. So those are books that we've previously mentioned. Now, here are some books that we haven't talked about before. So I'm going to kind of group these together in a bit of a weird way. So I'm going to start with some things that are kind of terrifying. First up, we have The Room in the Attic 
by Louise Douglas. This is the story of an insane asylum that is later turned into a boarding school. And it looks to be a dual timeline novel that charts some unfortunate events in this building, both when it is a mental institution and a school. And all of these events seem to have something to do with an attic room. So this is The Room in the Attic by Louise Douglas. Then we have Along the Saltwise Sea. This is Up and Under, book two, by A. Deborah Baker. And some of you may know this, but I actually didn't until I was researching for this episode. A. Deborah Baker is an open pseudonym for Seanan McGuire, who also writes as Mira Grant. So this is a horror series. It looks like some of the protagonists are children. It is the sequel to last year's Over the Woodward Wall. Um, I really enjoy both Grant and McGuire. I have not read anything by A. Deborah Baker, and horror is not always my thing. So if I do give this a chance, it will be mostly because I really like Sean and McGuire's writing. So anyway, this is Along the Saltwise Sea, Up and Under, book two by A. Deborah Baker. Now we have some fantasy. This is The Unseelie Prince. It is the first book in the Maze of Shadows series by Catherine Ann Kingsley. And this is about the prince of the Unseelie court. In order to become the king, he needs a bride. But none of the women in the Unseelie court really fit his idea of his perfect bride. So he decides to steal a human woman. I'm guessing this doesn't go well, at least not at first. So if you want to find out how it turns out, this is The Unseelie Prince, Maze of Shadows, book one by Catherine Ann Kingsley. The next book that I want to talk about is Jade Fire Gold. This is by June C.L. Tan, and it's compared to um, Natasha Nan's Girls of Paper and Fire series. So except it doesn't seem to have like the queer love story. But in terms of the world building and the level of, of darkness that you can expect from the series, um, Girls of Paper and Fire might be a good sort of comp. Um, but this is about the heir to an empire who meets a girl with deadly magic abilities. And together, they are trying to figure out, do they want to save the empire the way it is, or do they want to forge a new one? So this is Jade Fire Gold, and it is by June C.L. Tan. Moving on to some mysteries here. We have No One Will Miss Her. This is by Kat Rosenfield, and this is about a small-town girl who kind of falls under the spell of this big city social media influencer, and then apparently there is a murderous twist somewhere in the story. Um, sometimes I think that when we see these thrillers advertised, we're never really sure, like, 
you know, are they going to be truly as terrifying as they seem? Are they really as twisty? So I can't say I did not have an early copy of this, but I am really excited about it because the early buzz that it's gotten um, is pretty incredible. So I'm eager to give it a shot. Again, this is No One Will Miss Her, and it's by Kat Rosenfield. The Mother Next Door. This is the second book by Tara Leskowski. Um, her first book was One Night Gone, and I believe that came out in 2019. This one, I did not read beyond like the little tagline because that was kind of all I needed to know. But what if the women from Big Little Lies were the mothers of East Coast high schoolers instead of like kindergarten age children? That is all I needed to know. I love Big Little Lies, the book, not, not the TV show. And I would, I'm just really interested to see what would happen if women who live like those women are kind of paired with older kids who can get up to all sorts of shenanigans that are not so harmless and cute um, like the ones that we saw in Moriarty's book. So this, once again, is The Mother Next Door, and it's by Tara Laskowski. Then we have Dead Sound. This is the first book in the Things Unseen series by Anise Eden. And it is about a therapist who returns to work at the hospital after being stabbed by a patient. Um, that's very bad. And apparently it is a lot harder to go back to work than she expected for all kinds of reasons that you'll have to read the book to find out about. This is Dead Sound, Things Unseen by Anise Eden. And I am wrapping up today with The Party Crasher by Sophie Kinsella. This is an author that Sarah really, really likes and one that I have not read until now. Um, the concept for this book really caught my attention, so I'm definitely going to pick this up at some point. This sort of poses the question, what would you hear if you were eavesdropping and no one knew you were around? Like, what kind of things would you learn? I'm guessing none of them would be good. So if you want to know more, you'll have to check it out. It is The Party Crafter by Sophie Kinsella. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope everyone is staying safe and well, and of course, well-read. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.